0: Hey everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering. So please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie, anything. I have a bunch of your questions that I pulled from. I'm sorry, let me get my mic ready. Um, But I pulled them from my Katie Morton YouTube channel. I've been asking in the community tab over there. And I think because now we're kind of more, we're here, we've been on, we're like solidified on this new channel. I think I'm going to start asking them under this community tab. So just stay, you know, posted for that. Stay tuned. I will ask before next week's episode. So if you have a question or you've asked it over there and you're like, dang it, I didn't get mine answered, um, you can ask it again and I'll pull through them there. But yeah, make sure you have your notifications on for this channel, the Opinions That Don't Matter channel. And I don't know if there's something separate for Community Tab, but just keep an eye out. Um, Anyway, I hope you all are doing okay. Yesterday I filmed a video, it hasn't gone live yet, so you're hearing about it first, Um, but I filmed a video about the quarantine and coronavirus stuff mainly just because I'm feeling really overwhelmed and I didn't know if that would be helpful for any of you. And I don't even know if I'll put that video out because I don't usually do things like that where it's like about me. Ugh, I didn't like it. Anyway, Sean said it was good. And so I was trusting his judgment, but, um, but yeah, so know that I'm in it too. I'm feeling it too. It's really weird. It's a tough time. And even though we're like opening up, it's not really the same. Um, anyway, yeah, so. We'll see. If I put that video out, it'll go out next Monday, but maybe not. Um, anyway, I polled 10 different questions. And if you don't know, when I ask you for the questions, I choose the questions that have the most thumbs ups, meaning that a lot of other people agreed or had something similar that they wanted to know. And that's just easy, right? And just make sure that the most people who worry about something, wonder about something, have a question about something that they get there, uh, that you all get the question answered. Um, so without further ado, because we all know I love to ramble and can talk a long time. Um, let's get into it. Are you ready? Okay. Question number one. I thought this was a good one. It says, what can one do if small tasks feel impossible or out of reach? Simple things like getting out of bed, basic hygiene, making a decent meal, etc. Now, the therapist to me is like, "Ooh, that sounds like depression. Um, like you probably should see a therapist potentially." talk to a psychiatrist and maybe consider medication. And that's still like, that still is true. And I think something that I've, that we're going to have to get used to is this new normal of distanced treatment. And I know it sucks. And I'm sure a lot of therapists will be coming back into their offices and seeing their patients. Um, but I don't really know when that's going to be because we do have the ability to do Zooms and Skypes and phone calls and FaceTimes and all those things. Um, I really don't know when people will get back into that or if they will and in, in the way that we're used to. And so since this to me is just like depression, when when we can't do the basic things, you know, getting out of bed, basic hygiene, making a decent meal, that's when if, I, if I'm already seeing someone, let's say I'm seeing a patient, I've been seeing them for a while and they're still struggling, that's when I uh, refer them to see a psychiatrist. And a psychiatrist, if you don't know is a medical doctor that specializes in mental illnesses. And so they can tell you if uh, psychotropic medication, meaning like an SSRI or SNRI, otherwise known as an antidepressant, um, could be helpful for you. They can talk you through all of your worries, side effects, um, check in on you as you try this new thing, all that good stuff. And really, excuse me, that's that's where my mind goes. And I know also something to keep in mind. This is what I talked about, and probably not very clearly in that video that may not go up. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having like, like I said on Instagram, having like a vulnerability hangover where I'm like, I was just rambling and crying. That's ridiculous. Um, but what I mentioned in there is the adjustment, like thinking of this as kind of like uh, we, we diagnose adjustment disorder all the time. And it's when you have a, a big change in your life and within like a six month period after that change, you like can't quite come to terms with what's going on. And I don't, I forget the actual diagnostic criteria. I think it has like two months to show itself and then six months to resolve something like that before it becomes like PTSD or something else. Um, And we're in that adjustment right now. And if any of us were already, or maybe we already felt like we're just barely hanging on, you know, where you're just like, oh my God, everything is so hard. And like, you finally felt like you got your head above water water being like the symptoms of depression or anxiety, if we feel like we just got our head above water, it can be really hard to then have this pandemic happen. Um, Because I can tell you, I felt perfectly fine. And my anxiety is through the roof. And I feel very uh, sad a lot. I wouldn't necessarily say that I meet the criteria for depression. But I definitely am grieving. And it's very hard. And so I just I just want to say that because I think a lot of us are struggling with these like simple things right now because everything just feels really overwhelming. And so um, I encourage you, if you're in this situation, if this question resonated with you, because it's got a lot of thumbs ups, um, I would reach out through either, uh, if you already have a therapist, I would call and try to set up another session, whether that's using Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, phone, whatever set up that session. If you don't have a therapist, and I, you know, you could go through your insurance and call depends on where you live. Um, Or better help talk space. Those are all great resources. I always link better help in the description. I've worked with them over the years. I know there was like, people said that they were unethical or some shit online and tried to make it into a conspiracy. There was no conspiracy. There was one weird, weirdly worded portion of their terms of service. And they already changed it. They were like, Oh, we didn't even think about it this way. It was just, that was how our lawyers put it together. And I've, they're very nice, and I've heard from a lot of my community members that it's been super helpful. I have friends and family members who utilize BetterHelp. Um, anyways, wanted to address that because there's still some crazy people out there and the trolls that are like, "Didn't they do?" No, they, I I talked to them. I read through the terms of service, um, but you know, some people on the internet want to be mad. So. Those are all great resources. Crisis Text Line, if you do not know, is seven four one seven four one. You just type hello. And they um, have uh, trained crisis counselors. They're not licensed professionals, but they're trained to deal with issues and can help us through something if we're feeling like you know we're, we're not at our best and we don't know who to reach out to. <clears throat> they're available 24-7. Um, I'm talking about all this because my main thing is just let's get you some support. Let's get you some help. If you can't tend to your basic needs, you need some professional help, regardless. And so therapy is always the first line for me. However, when it gets to things like this, like when you feel like you can't get out of bed, simple things just seem impossible and completely out of reach, I am I am one who would then consider medication more quickly. Usually I try to see my patients for a long time before I make any judgments on this, but when the symptoms are severe enough where it's impairing our ability to function at all, then I want you cuz I talk about medication um kind of like a life raft. Right? Again, like the water is like our symptoms, right? And if we're drowning in those symptoms, if the symptoms are so overwhelming that we can't engage in our relationships in the way we want, we can't get out of bed, we can't make ourselves a meal, we can't shower, we can't, um, I mean, getting the mail or making a phone call or doing any work is just like that, that's like so, so, so out of reach. Um, we're drowning in those symptoms and that's when we need someone to throw us a life raft. And while I firmly, you know, this believe in therapy and in it myself off and on, um, I can't change your motivation factor when it's like, it's your brain chemistry and your symptoms of depression that are just like taking away any of that, uh, motivation, excitement, empowerment, anything you might be feeling, because I can't make you do things, right? As a therapist, I can offer tools, techniques, tips. Uh, I can get you to think about things in a new way, get you to process things in a new way. But you're gonna have to do that work at home when you're on your own. And if you're not able to do that, I I can't like follow you home and like make you death creepy. And that's also terrible. And that's not the point of therapy that's where medication comes in, is medication can assuage some of those symptoms and feelings and experiences enough so that you can get your head above water and then you can do the tools, tips, tricks, things that I'm offering. And that's why we see the best result when it comes to um, treatment of mental illnesses, therapy and medication together. And I've talked about this in other podcasts, but I just really want to reiterate that here because I think a lot of people are like, well, I just want to get the medication and then I just, that's all, I'll feel better. Sure, but then you're not actually fixing the problem. It'd be akin to, uh, I don't even know how to describe. Oh, okay. It'd be like if you had a really, really bad infection, right? Like in your leg, but you took painkillers so that the pain of the infection went away, but the infection's still there. And that's like mental illness with only treating it with some medication, is like, sure that we don't feel so bad anymore, but the infection still exists. And I know that seems like ass backwards because you're like, well, medication should like cure, you know, heal fully. No, when it comes to mental illness, we have all our own, we have to do it ourselves. Like we have the wherewithal and the tools and the techniques to get better. Sometimes we just need someone to show us those or remind us of those or help guide us in that direction while we Then do the hard work of healing and repairing. We all have wounds, whether it be because our parents were shit, or because we had some really abusive relationships, or anything. All of us have difficult things that maybe maybe we don't never learned communication skills from our parents or in our life, and so we struggle to communicate. There could be a zillion different things. Um, Maybe we've just always had a lot of worry, and that's led to OCD symptoms or social anxiety. It could be anything, but. We still have to figure out where that comes from and heal that and work through that. Medication does not do that. Medication just takes away those symptoms. It just it's it's like uh, taking away the pain from that infection. The infection's still there. And so I say all of that to say that like you need both. And so the person who asked this question, since the simple things just feel like completely out of reach, which i I totally understand. We're going through a tough time and it can be really difficult. I would encourage you to reach out. Um, see, there are psychiatrists that are doing telehealth. They call they call it telehealth now, which is so. I'm sorry, but it's just antiquated. It's like telehealth. Call me on my home my uh, you know home phone. It's like a landline. That's what it sounds like telehealth, but it's really online healthcare. And I um, I believe that. There are tons of resources and ways to do that. And I would encourage you to reach out and get some help. And also know that pharmacies deliver right now. So if you aren't comfortable leaving your house or you're not able to, like I am, I'm in California, we're not, we won't be able to, I mean, we I could go to a pharmacy. I'm not saying they're stopping us from that. But what I'm saying is that we're encouraged to stay home if we can. There are deliveries. I know CVS, Walgreens, um, Rite Aid, all of those, uh, maybe even Walmart might be doing it. I don't know. Uh, Costco, possibly, but you can get your uh, prescriptions delivered. And so I would encourage you to do that if the psychiatrist recommends an ant- antidepressant or something and you're comfortable with that. Um, <clears throat> my last little bit about this is when we see a psychiatrist, we need to make sure that we uh, write down all the symptoms we're feeling. Like you're talking about, you know, I would copy and paste this question that you had into that note section. So that you say like, hey, small tasks feel impossible or uh, simply out of reach. Simple things like getting out of bed, basic hygiene, making decent meals, you know, are impossible because you want to tell them that all the things we're feeling might be feeling body aches. A lot of times depression comes with what we call psychosomatic symptoms, meaning the things that I'm feeling in my, uh, because of my mental health issue are resonating throughout my body. Um, And we want to tell them. And so write down all the symptoms and things that you're noticing And then where you'd like to get and if you've tried medications before, tell them about that. If you have concerns about side effects, tell them about those concerns and always ask about the side effects and ask how long you you know, a trial run of this is how long till you feel better. Usually when it comes to antidepressants, we're looking at like three to four weeks at least. So be patient. I know that sucks. Um, And then find a therapist. Because getting those two on board will really really help you feel better and hopefully we don't need to be on medication forever if it's not something that you want to be on forever hopefully we can get you tools and tips and tricks and techniques to get you out um, why are those all starting with T's tools, tips tricks and techniques geez, look at that alliteration um anyway, it does get better. I know right now feels like shit but trust me it does get better okay and we want to make sure we catch it now before before everything is impossible and I know right now, honestly, the, the toughest thing is that if even small tasks feel impossible, like finding a therapist and getting help and seeing a psychiatrist, you're like, are you kidding me? Um, <clears throat> and so if you have someone in your life that you can trust, who is supportive and loving and caring, have them help you have them shoot those emails, make those calls for you. Um, they obviously can't go to the sessions for you. But all of that legwork and stuff that can feel really overwhelming can be done by someone else, especially right now. Um, So I'd encourage you to, you know, have someone help you. It's hard. I know And if we don't have any energy or motivation, like how the hell are we supposed to get help? Um, But that's where friends, family, people who are caring and loving come in, um, come into play can be helpful. Okay. Excuse me, I've got like, tickle in my throat today. Okay, ready? Question number two How do you tell your therapist you are super depressed if she thinks you've been doing so well? I really, I like this question and hated it at the same time. And I don't mean like hated it in like a, oh, this is a terrible question. I just mean as a therapist, I'm like, oh, no, they're not telling her. And that's horrible. I hate when I find this out like after the fact. Um, and then I'm like, then I try to track back because it's just the therapist to me. I'm like, what did I miss? there had to be something that i missed what about when i you know am i asking the right questions so then i do like an evaluation of myself and my therapeutic techniques and like what i'm using and why i'm why i'm missing out on it anyways um so okay there's a couple of things the real way to tell a therapist is just tell them there's no judgment in therapy you don't have to be like i'm super depressed i know you think i'm doing well but i didn't want to tell you. i mean you can there's no right or wrong way it's just like the more information and truthful stuff that your therapist knows, the more they can help you. I've talked about this before. It's like, um, you know, if we don't give the therapist all of the, let's say, uh, I don't know, what's a good analogy. Maybe it's like uh, playing poker. I'm sorry if that's uh, triggering to you, but maybe it's like playing uh, go fish. Make it more lighthearted than that. And if, if you're, your therapist is playing the hand for you. Cause that's kind of what we're doing is we're trying to look at all the information and then we're putting it through our filter and our expertise. And we're like, Hmm, okay. With this, this, and this, and taking this into consideration, then we should probably do this, right? And then they play a card. But if we only have half the cards or we can only see half the cards, we don't know what these other ones are. We're having to guess Then we're not going to make a very educated or helpful decision. So I know it's hard to, to be honest with therapists because we have our own judgments, our own stigmas, our own worries. What if they don't take me seriously? What if they don't think I'm sick enough? I Trust me, I've heard it all. I've been online for over eight years. I know. But I, tr- just trust me when I say therapists don't get into this line of work because we enjoy judging people and watching people suffer. <laughs> that is just not at all the truth. We get into it for the complete opposite. We get into this line of work. Like, I can tell you why I got into it. First of all, because I enjoy people. I like sitting with people. I love hearing their stories. I just, oh God, I love that. And I get bored easily at work. So having all these different people and different stories throughout my day is so engaging, so interesting. Then there's the component of um, like being able to offer some sage advice or tangible treatments and techniques to help them get better. And then you get to watch them get better. It's so rewarding and so fucking cool. And nowhere in there is there judgment or uh, I don't even know like pleasure and pain, none of that exists in therapy. I mean, I'm sure there are some shitty therapists who maybe are narcissists and but you'll feel that right. Like that, I'm sure those are like, barely any, because we don't make that much doing what we do. And so they would lose interest real quick. Um, So when it comes to telling your therapist, just tell them, honestly, even if you just blurt it out, like what I call verbal diarrhea, if you like walk into session, you're like, so I've been super depressed, and I haven't told you and I need to get it out. That's okay. I don't care. At least I have that information. It's like you've handed me a card or one of the cards I didn't know what it was has revealed itself. So then I'm like, oh, okay, great. So now I can take that, apply it to these and be like, that's why. Because honestly, as a therapist, I mean, I know we're not in session in in person anymore, but oftentimes I'll notice that my patients are usually early. And now they're like a couple minutes late. And I'll be like, that's interesting. And I'll ask them about it and they've shrugged it off. No big deal. And I'm like, maybe, I'm, you know, traffic is bad and parking is difficult and blah, blah, blah. Um, or like, maybe they, it doesn't look like they've showered or they've gained or lost weight. Like I might notice things like that, but I don't have a place to put that symptom or information because when I try to ask questions about it, it's brushed off. And so I'm saying all that to, to say that like, it's most beneficial for you just to get it out because I'm, or your therapist might have all these things that they can't really make sense of yet because they don't have this missing piece of the puzzle, which is depression, which we know can make it difficult for us to shower, make it difficult difficult for us to eat properly or not overeat, um, sleep, things like that can really affect us. So if and if you struggle, like if you find yourself in session, like on the Zoom calls or FaceTimes or whatever, not being able to get it out, you're like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. Katie just said to blurt it out, I'm gonna do it. Uh, uh, and you don't do it. Um, totally get that. Also, sometimes I'll walk in and like forget. Um, so a way to kind of cut that off at the pass is if it's allowed in your therapy, um, email them and just say, Hey, this is non like usually I have my patients just um text me or call me if it's an emergency so email means it's not an emergency so you just tell them hey i i you don't have to reply to this but i wanted you to know that i've been feeling this way and i keep not being able to say it in therapy so i just wanted to leave it here so that you can bring it up next session thank you so much just keep it really short and sweet to the point i i mean i'm fine with that i know every therapist is different boundaries are very important um i never reply to my patients emails um unless it's like a billing issue or something that is you know it's like Needs to be dealt with that way. I don't reply to any kind of uh, therapeutic content via email because that's what our sessions are for. So that might be another way, or just putting it in the notes on your phone and then you read it from your phone while you're in session. That's another great way to do it. Um, but again, going back to just get it out there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to sound nice. It doesn't have to make sense. Um, just tell them how you feel. That's really how therapy works. I know a lot of people get scared to share things in therapy, and I do recognize that certain topics and situations can be hard to talk about. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but the sooner we tell our therapists, everything that's going on, the sooner they can help us because if we're withholding information, it doesn't help anybody and we're going there to get help. So make sure you speak up Just say how it is. It's totally fine. Cool. Cool. Okay. Okay. And question number three, I really struggle to make decisions, even small, silly ones. How can someone get better at decision making, especially if they have anxiety, depression, or other mental illnesses that add to the difficulty? This question got a lot of likes and a lot of comments back, and it was interesting to read because you all have such great advice on your own. And I really love that about our community that even if I hadn't seen this question, people had already offered some tools and tips and ways that they themselves have, you know, dealt with it. And I just, I just really love that. So the real answer to this question is, I mean, it says even silly small ones, but if you're out there and you're like, Hey, making decisions, is hard for me. And it's the small ones you haven't even really given much thought to. I always like to start with small ones, small being like, um, do you want to have water or juice for dinner or breakfast or whatever? Do you want cream in your coffee or not? Like we're all able to make those decisions. And I call those, gold star decisions. If you're able to say I like cream and sugar in my coffee, because I do. I can't drink it black. (laughs) It's terrible. But if you can do that, awesome. That's a decision. You just made a decision. Did you put clothes on your back? Fuck yeah, you're dressed for the day. That was a decision. You made it. Um, I know that those seem like non non decisions or like that's not really what I'm talking about. Those are decisions. And that's how I start. And I want you to start recognizing all of the decisions that you make easily every day and how those decisions don't ruin your life. Because the reason for this struggle to make decisions is that you're going to make the wrong one. And then those worry thoughts from anxiety just get a hold of that and they just run with it all the way down this dark pit. So notice all the decisions you make easily and, and I don't know, give yourself like a pat on the back for it. Be like, we made that decision. It turned out okay. I didn't die, everything's okay. Hooray, right? That's pretty much how that goes in my head, at least. Anyway, so that's a good place to start. But when it comes to things like as we get to bigger decisions, because that'll build up our confidence in decision making. That's why we start really, really small. Um, And as we get more comfortable doing that, we can move into larger ones. But the tricky part with this is that if you have anxiety or depression or just worry thoughts in general, we're really going to have to work on that. So I would encourage you to seek therapy, uh, possibly uh, see a psychiatrist, get some medication, if that's something that will benefit you. If you feel like, again, like you're drowning in those symptoms, that can really help you get a handle on that. Um, Because if you don't know, generalized anxiety disorder, otherwise uh, it's talked about like GAD, or just people say I have anxiety. If they are properly diagnosed, they have generalized anxiety disorder. And what that really means is that we have uncontrollable worry. No matter what we do, no matter what we try, we can't make the worry get better. And that worry, I believe, can invade our decision-making skills like immediately. It's one of the first things to go when we have anxiety. And depending on what type if we have social anxiety, what used to be called social phobia, our worry and this indecision can, it runs into that. Like, do I go to the party? Do I say hi to this person? I don't know. What if they think that I'm stupid? What if they think that I'm lazy? Oh my God, they're looking at me. Maybe I should run to the bathroom. I don't know. Or they think I'm weird that I go to the bathroom? You can see how this could spiral out, right? We've all done it in some fashion or another. And so treating the anxiety is key. And if you guys don't know, I have a, um, in iBooks, like Apple iBooks or whatever, um, I have my workbooks over the years. I've created a lot of workbooks. I have an eating disorder workbook, self-injury. I think it's just called a self-harm workbook, LGBTQ plus workbook, um, and anxiety workbook. I think that's all of them. I think there's just four, but maybe I'm forgetting one. But anyways, um, I would encourage you to check out my anxiety workbook. I did a bunch of research for this. This was years ago, prior to are you okay? And writing a, a full on book. Um, <clears throat> I talk about anxiety, what it is, how to manage it, talk about panic attacks, all that stuff. And so really, I think managing the anxiety and cal- getting uh, getting a handle on how to calm that down will make the decisions easier. And you will get out of this rut of not being able to make any decisions. Um, because my belief is that it's born out of that anxiety. Um, and possibly depression too, but more commonly than not, like I see it more with anxiety rather than depression. Depression is more like I don't even care to make the decision. It's not really the worry. If you find yourself worrying, I believe that that is almost always part of an anxiety disorder, not just generalized generalized anxiety disorder, but any anxiety disorder. Um, And so really start small. I just want to wrap wrap this up so it makes sense. Start small with really, really teeny things. Recognize the small things that you do and reward yourself for it. Tell yourself good things like, wow, I made so many decisions I didn't even realize. And then we're going to have to get treatment for our anxiety disorder. And that can look like a lot of different things. That can be medication. That can be um, doing certain things that really cause us to have high levels of anxiety, like exposure therapy type stuff where our anxiety usually rises. But if we do the thing, then we're, we're telling our brain or proving to our brain more more like it, that nothing bad is going to happen. Look, I did that thing that was quote unquote scary and terrible and terrifying and bad things were going to happen and nothing bad happened. Because that's where the worry just it like thrives in that, oh my God, this could happen. And then this could happen. And then my life is over. It just does that so quickly. Boom. Like goes zero to a hundred. And so if we do the thing, we use our skills, we breathe, we ground, we connect with people, whatever it is that helps you stay calm. And then we recognize, hey, I went to that party, let's say, not that we're doing that now. But let's say, um, hey, I made that big decision for work. And it nothing bad happened it wasn't terrible. And then another thing to um, I want to kind of add to this decision making is if you struggle with decision making, because people try to rush you to make decisions. That, um, I'm not saying this is hundred percent of the time, but a lot of times that's a manipulative tactic. I talked about this with narcissism and when you have a parent who's a narcissist or in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist, they try to force you to make decisions quickly because if they put pressure on you and they tell you a certain thing and then they're like, we got to go, we got to do this. They try to make you act quickly without thought so that they get what they want. Um, it's okay to take a beat. <sighs> do I want to do this? What do I think about it? It's okay to take stock, do a little pros and cons list. That's fine. And so I just want to say that in case that was your problem is like, don't ever feel rushed. I know in times of crisis, especially now, like we can feel very rushed to make decisions. Sure, sometimes we have to get back to people more quickly, but almost all decisions can wait at least 30 minutes, if not an hour, at least. Give yourself a little time to think about it. And then you go ahead and make your decision, but don't feel like you have to do it on the spot. Like I've gotten um, better and better as I've gotten older and been online even too, is when people ask me to do things or want me to do things or need my opinion on something, I will always say, you know, I'm going to let it sit up here. Like in my head, I'm gesturing to my head. If you're just listening, like, like percolate in my brain and I'll get back to you. Meaning I don't even know how I feel about this. I have to think about it and I'm going to get back to you. And that gives me time to not feel social pressure to do something like peer pressure is a bitch, man. And I don't like to make decisions based on someone else and what I worry they may think of me. I'm too old for that. And we all should be too old for that. Okay. It never goes takes us anywhere good. Um, and then I just want to take the have the time that I need to consider all sides. Like I want to talk it out with Sean probably, or my mom, or write about it a little bit and just take stock. So don't feel rushed. Cause that can make us, uh, feel worse too. And then we can, that can like perpetuate the worry then, right? Because if we make a decision and it doesn't turn out right, then we can think like, I'm not good at this. I'm terrible at making decisions. I couldn't, shouldn't do this anymore. And instead of taking the time, making it more thoughtful decision, and then knowing that it's nothing bad's going to happen because of that. It's like, we have to prove that the worry doesn't need to exist instead of proving that it does. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Sometimes I have no idea. Okay. Um, Yeah, I hope that that helps. I hope that's reasonable. I know it's really difficult. um, But getting treatment for that anxiety, I believe will help like 100%. Okay. Okay. Um, Question number four. Hey, Katie, can you talk about depression slash anxiety getting worse with the Coronavirus and how to prevent mental health from getting really bad with all the stress going on? That I don't know why, but every it feels like every week, I used to say this about the, um, if you guys don't know, I have a Patreon account um, that has saved my bacon over the years. Thank you to all my Patreon patrons out there. But I do a few live streams over there every month. And almost every month we have like a theme. And this week, this week's theme seems to be like depression, anxiety symptoms. Um, It's just interesting how that is. So if you ever think you're like alone in this and you're crazy and making it up and like, I don't know why I feel this way. Trust me, there are a lot of other people out there feeling exactly that way. Um, It's like, I don't know something in the air, something in the water. I'm not sure. It's just a stressful time right now. Okay. So I did have an entire video that I did. If you go um, to YouTube and you just type in Katie Morton, coronavirus anxiety, or COVID-19 anxiety, um, the video should come up. I did it in collaboration with UNICEF. Um, We put out the same videos on our channel, um, mainly as just a way to uh, get information out there. Um, and so, because this was like back when it was first happening and it, things are crazy. So, the uh, this, is, this is tricky because it's like it's getting worse. So, we already had the depression or anxiety. And so, the best way, okay. So, what I kind of talk about in that video is how and what I think is kind of pertinent to this is the reason that we're feeling shitty right now is because we are in our stress response, which is supposed to be short-lived. Our stress response, if you don't know, is triggered in our amygdala, part of our brain and in our nervous system that triggers this fight-flight-freeze response. And I know a lot of people are also adding fawn into that. I read about it. I don't fully support. I think fight-flight-freeze is enough. Um, You can disagree. That's fine. But fight-flight-freeze is is what I agree with. Um, Anyway, it puts us into that stress response. And ours, instead of peaking, like, okay, I ran from there was like a a man running after me in an alleyway. It's like my worst fear, you guys. And I sprinted and I got away to safety, got in my car and I was driving home. (sighs) I went into that stress response. I fled. Uh, You know, flight was my best choice. I fled and I got to safety. (sighs) I'm relieved. That stress response went up and it came down. We're okay. However, because the man running in the alley is not what we're, we don't, we can't see this threat, right? Which if you don't know, our our brain and body are wired or designed to seek out threat, it, it keeps us alive, right? It's evolutionary. It's like, if I hear the guy in the alleyway, I'm going to run away. Versus if I'm like, duh, 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 just not paying attention, and then I get killed or I get hurt in some way. Um, and so, our body and brain are designed to seek out threats. So we can decide if we need to fight, flight, freeze. Like what's the best option here? Do we have any options? But because this coronavirus is everywhere, nowhere, I don't know, we can't see it. We can't treat it. I don't understand it. Now people are getting sick a second time after they already had it. Things just feel very chaotic and very stressful with no solution, right? I can't fight, flight, freeze. Neither of those, none of them help right so instead of our stress response going up and peaking and coming right back down really quickly where we're like oh, I feel better we're held in it which could cause things i would assume long term like ptsd like symptoms and responses if we already have ptsd i am sure you're super triggered and i'm sorry it's it's terrible um but even like adrenal fatigue i could see that happening um I could see like depression, anxiety exhibiting itself in people who never had that before. Anyway, so this heightened response, this heightened stress response being uh, more long-term than it is supposed to be is what is making everything worse because our amygdala is firing. And if you don't know the amygdala, I was reading this article that my um, friend, Dr. Alexa Altman, I've had her on the channel. She's wonderful. She's a trauma specialist. She had sent me over some information back when we were talking about COVID at the beginning um, about how the, uh, the amygdala essentially is like this dictator in our brain. And when it gets triggered, when it believes there's a credible threat, and it like checks, do do, yes, and it ignites this fire alarm, right? I've talked about it like a fire alarm. it's like, wah, 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 wah. Everything else goes offline. Like our, our prefrontal cortex, our, whole, our frontal lobe, this whole area across our, right behind our forehead, that's responsible for decision making, um, some key personality traits. It's, it's a big part of like uh, who we are and how we make decisions, and I don't know, it, it, I just always like to think of it as like our control center. Okay. So it's the responsible part of our brain. It goes offline because the amygdala is like, listen, buddy, you don't have, we don't have time for your like, oh, maybe this could work. Hmm. Pros and cons. Ugh. It's like, no, we got to either fight, flight, freeze. we got to get the fuck out. We got to decide what we're doing. Shut up. I don't need your adult conversation. And so because of that, we can feel very impulsive. We can be, make really bad decisions right now. We can feel really irritable. It, we are in this heightened state, and it can be really, really uncomfortable. And I just, I, I say all that because I want you to kind of understand what's going on in your system and your body and why you could be feeling the way that you're feeling. And so the best way to prevent your mental health from getting really bad, because we don't really know when this is going to get better. I, and I know that sounds really uh, negative. I don't mean that to sound really negative. I just, it's like the reality of the situation. Is even as we open things up, people will still continue to get sick, and we don't really have treatment or a vaccine or anything available. You know, so things are still yet to be decided. Um, so we have to figure out how to cope. And the best thing, the antidote to that stress response is actually connection. So if you have some safe people in your life as things do lift, as the stay at home orders are like loosened or softened, if you want to call it that, um, have a friend that you can go get a hug from have someone you can have a real conversation face-to-face. Um, FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, those work too. However, it is best in person. There's something about that. Maybe there's a chemical release. I haven't read all the articles about it, but we know that that calms our, It like part of our vagus nerve that triggers our system. It calms the social connection system, calms it all down. It brings our prefrontal cortex back online, gets us out of that fight, flight, freeze, and just helps us soothe. It's like self-soothing. Um, so connection is the number one is my number one recommendation for this. Second is getting extra support. If that means maybe you've been out of therapy, you like graduated from therapy. That's awesome. That doesn't mean you can't get back in. I've been in and out for years and it's totally fine and fair. So maybe you get back into therapy. Maybe. Um, we get back into those tools and techniques and tips and things that our therapist gave us back in the day that did help. Maybe we use those again. I always tell my patients to keep like a binder or keep the stuff that we're working on so that they have it because things can happen. Life gets stressful. It's unpredictable. Did we ever think we're going to have a global pandemic? I sure as fuck didn't, but here we are. And so it's important to have those tools and techniques and tips around that you can still use. And I really think that, um, that though, because we know they've worked in the past, right? Like things that have worked for me in therapy are journaling. Um, I need alone time and, um, I need a connection. I need to talk to my mom and my friends. So those are things that I go to over and over and over again. Um, and then just some self-care, like I like baths and, um, rub my feet and things like that. So find the tools and things that soothe you, that help you feel better, and do those things. Even if it's hard, even if you don't want to, like, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I just don't want to, I feel like a little kid throwing a tantrum lately. It's because my system's overwhelmed and I'm exhausted. So make some time for that. And I really believe this support system that we create for ourselves, whether that's through like our therapist, psychiatrist, whomever, um, as well as like, uh, our other tools and techniques, that's what's going to get us through, but there's nothing wrong with increasing your sessions during this time. Um, or, uh, you know, doing more FaceTimes with friends, or whatever it is, you know, you do to connect, it's everybody's different. But like, however, you can talk to people in your life that you feel emotionally connected to, the better you will feel. Um, And I wish I had like a magic bullet, things are better, blah, blah, blah. Um, But those, those will really change it. And then the final tip that I have for this is thought stopping. And I've been doing this myself. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's just another tool to have in your tool chest. And that is instead of letting those worry thoughts, right? Because last night, or it wasn't last night. It was like two nights ago. <sighs> I'm talking too much. It's making me yawn. It's not you. It's me. I promise. I feel like I do that every week. It's just because there's so much air out. Um, but anyways, the um, a couple nights ago, I was having all these worry thoughts like oh no like how are uh how i i can worry about everything you guys so like here's just a little like peek into my brain i was like oh my god i hate that my mom still has to go to work and it's stupid she can do this from home i hope she doesn't get sick oh my god my sister in law i really worry about her and i hate that she's going there and i get it but like it sucks Um, And then I started worrying about the food delivery guy that came the other day and the Lyft drivers that I usually utilize, but I'm not. And my, our friends who work at restaurants and bars and, um, but you could see where this is going. The lady that I've had come clean my house, sometimes I like worry about her and like, how is she doing financially and then I'm like, "What about Christmas?" I just go down this whole rabbit hole. What about the airlines? How are they going to? Could I ever be able to travel the world again? I could spiral out real quick, you guys, just like you. So don't think, you know. But in the middle of this, in my head, I go, "Stop! Stop! 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 Stop!" And I imagine a stop sign. Stops, Katie. Stop! 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 Until it calms for just a second, and then I try to tell myself other things, like, you know what? I can't wait till Sean and I can go out to Palm Springs. I love Palm Springs. We can go out there. We could, like, maybe Airbnb a house and barbecue. It'll be so nice. Sit out in the pool. I start to tell myself a story of something I want to do. Or I can talk about Paris, our last trip, and go down a memory lane, right? So I use those things to get my brain out of, I wonder how so and so, and oh my God, and and then I can spiral into like, and I'm supposed to write a book this year. Oh my God, and that just happened. Shit, I gotta do that. I just anxiety, anxiety, push, worry, 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 worry. And then there's no sleep. So use some thought stopping techniques as as necessary. It might be every night. That's okay. No judgment. We're all different um, to get your brain out of that like spiral. Okay. Because we're all in it. Trust me, I feel you. Okay, moving on question number five, because I'm rambling a lot today. And I apologize. Um, This is a good one. I added question number five. It didn't get it had like Uh, half of the amount of thumbs ups as the others, but I thought this was something that I've been dealing with more and more with my community, with a lot of you have mentioned this to me in other ways, and so I thought it's something interesting to talk about, okay? And the question is, hi, Katie, I identify as a Christian, and there seems to be a big stigma of hide your mental health issues in various religious communities, which is true. What are some ways that those of us in these different religious communities can help to reduce that stigma? I honestly believe, so this has been happening a lot members of our community are Christian or other, mainly we have um, other people who are Christians in our group. I haven't heard from any of my like other religious uh, people. However, in church, it seems to be not always just hide your mental health, but there's also this flavor of like, just pray about it. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh. I know faith is important to a lot of people, but like God gave us a brain. He gave us tools. He gave us, uh, he gave us a lot of education and insight and intelligence, and we should use it, don't you think? Um, so, I just get really frustrated, people are like, pray to God, and then once he takes it away, you're healed forever. And I'm like, okay, um, mental health is no different than physical health, and if you got the flu once, people wouldn't be like, oh, you're never going to get it again, or you got a cold, and they're like, you're cured? You're cured? You're never going to get a cold again. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Why don't we talk about our mental health the same way we talk about our physical health? And so overall, that's kind of my answer is that we all should be talking about mental health just like our physical health. All, always, not just in religious communities, but in general, because that's why there's all these stupid conversations about like, well, you were better before, so you're better now. Like, what? Are you serious? Do you even understand what this is? Do you even understand how it works? Have you ever tried to educate yourself about something? I can get really fired up. People piss me off. Ignorance is exhausting. So there's that. But then when it comes to um, within these like Christian uh, communities or religious communities as a whole, I think the the best way we can do it is just by talking about it. I know there are tons of groups. Trust me, I was raised in church my whole life. Um, and I know that there's like mommy groups and or new mom groups or newlywed groups. Um, there's also, you know, depending on how Old the kids are. They have their own little uh, Sunday schools and groups and things that they do and Wednesday night services or Thursday, whatever your church does. I would encourage you to create mental health groups within your communities and talking about it more, making space for the conversations. Because the one thing I know that never works is trying to shove an idea or a belief down anyone's throat. We know that if you're in a religious community, you know that like you can't tell someone to come to church and get better, and you need to repent, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's not even the way that if you believe in the Bible and that kind of stuff, that that's not even what God tells you to do. So, we all know that doesn't work. It's more about just being there, being open, learning, hearing from someone else, being curious about their experience. And so, I think that the way that we can improve this is through conversation. And and I know It makes you nervous to be the one to talk about it, but that's really the movement that we can make, and that will cause change. Because a lot of um, leaders in church are going to be retiring, like every year. Older people retire, newer people come in, and I think that that's a good movement. I'm not saying that older communities don't, um, or older generations don't understand mental health, but there's a different conversation being had now online, thank God, And so the younger generations are more primed for those conversations too. So I think this is all positive movement, positive growth. And um, for those of you who are fortunate enough to have like an older generation of a pastor or preacher who is open to this, that's even more awesome. Like If they're open to different thought processes and conversations and educations, you can bring it up there. But, But by and large, I think the way that we can all work on this, because there are stigmas across, I mean, in the... Um, Asian and African-American community. I've heard from a lot of my friends who say that it's not okay, you're supposed to hide it, or you don't have it, you know, or like, just pray about it. There's all sorts of things that we're told to do. um, And the best way to combat that is just to talk about it and not take this like, oh, no, no, we don't talk about that here. Be like, well, I do. It's still part of who I am. It's part of my well-being. And I think God would really want me to talk about this and be honest about where I'm at and who I am. We're honest about everything else. I mean, you can spin it to your advantage so that there's an open and honest conversation being had. Um, even creating communities online would be really helpful, um, especially since a lot of churches are doing things remotely, you know, because we have to, doing Zooms of these groups. Um, yeah, I think that that's really where it's at. And just just challenging people to think differently, to to hear each other out. That's something that I am, even in my, myself, I'm trying to do more of is be more curious and let people teach me because, um, I'm reading one of Brené Brown's books and she talks about how it's really hard to hate up close. And so we should instead be really interested in having conversations with people. We should let people teach us. We should talk to people. Um, and I agree with that ask questions. Don't jump to the conclusions. Don't not listen to them because you're trying to come up with your own answer. The more we can listen, like actually listen and thoughtfully reply in order for both of us to learn, the better off we all would be. The the less arguments and fights online and in person, I think it would just make everybody better. So uh, anyway, I'm rambling, but I really believe that, um, that that's the way we can reduce the stigma is just by talking about it, making it just A normal conversation that is had, a part of the religious community as a whole. Because sure, prayer and support from, if you believe in that stuff, can make you feel better. It can help with maybe some of those anxious or depressive thoughts, but there's still a role in there for proper mental health treatment. If we need medication, that should be an acceptable thing as well. It shouldn't be you pray and you're cured i would I would always reference feel free to use my language about it being a cold, like if I got a cold last year around uh January, then th- if I got another one this January, you wouldn't say like, "Well, you didn't believe enough or something like that's bullshit, and no one should tolerate that and draw the more we can correlate it to physical health, I believe the more people can relate to it. um yeah, let's just keep having those conversations. There are a lot of ignorant and stupid people out there, and I don't mean that as a put-down across. But I'm just saying a lot of people don't understand, and so the more we can educate them, the more we can help uh, hear their side and and come, you know, have conversations. The better. Okay, question number six. Another good one. You guys have such good questions. It says hi, Katie. I'm currently in school to become a social worker, as I enjoy helping people out. Yay. However, I often get frustrated with myself because I feel like I can't truly help others when I can't even help myself. My question for you would be, do you struggle to help others when you're going through a rough time yourself? If so, how do you cope with that? Yes, 100%. Um, uh, the best example I can give is when my dad died. That's probably the easiest to recall. Um, I actually took a break from seeing patients for about two months. And I, I was lucky enough that I worked in a eating disorder treatment center. And at the time it just, it was like praise the heavens or Allah or whoever you believe in or whatever. But I was, it was just like perfect timing. My dad had passed away and I was only running three groups and I had one patient, but that patient was graduating like that week she was leaving treatment. So when I found out my dad passed away, the patient graduated and I flew home. And the groups were easy to take over. It's not like one on one in the way that I am now. Um, and so that really allowed me to more easily transition out, take a break, and come back when I was ready. Um, now, that's not to say that everybody has that luxury. Like, if, because in private practice, if that's all the money that you make, then to take two months off is just not feasible. Um, and so th- that's why being a, being a mental health professional, I hold myself and everyone should hold themselves to like an even higher standard of self-care and self-awareness. And what I mean by that is I know my early symptoms of burnout, overwhelm, uh, depression, anxiety, stressors, whatever, right? When I'm feeling maxed out, like right now I'm not my best self. So I've been doing a lot more self-care and a lot more check-ins with my friends and family and my own therapist, so we have to have our own system in place because I am able, like, this is a healthy and unhealthy tactic. I am able to completely compartmentalize when it comes to my patient's time and my time. I still do not allow it in the room with a patient, but I did notice after the first week of the coronavirus, how I was a little more irritable, just agitated, like patients who wouldn't do homework. I'd be like, uh, but I didn't, they didn't know. I, or maybe they noticed, but no one has said anything. I felt that inside myself and was like, what the fuck is going on, Katie? What are you doing? Why are you reacting this way? Because I have to be more self-aware than most. I have to catch that early so that it doesn't find its way into a session. I need to notice how I'm interacting with people in my life and how I'm feeling inside. And so what I did is I stayed in my office an extra hour after my last patient. I just journaled. I cried a little. I let myself feel it. I let myself try to process. And I've been doing more of that. And so I would encourage you to spend time doing... I'm not in my office anymore, by the way. This was back at the beginning. Um, So making time for that, making time for processing, creating your your social support system, um leaning on that more, doing more self, uh, I call it like self-evaluation, which I know sounds very clinical and icky, but maybe it's like um, more introspective work where I'm like, how am I doing? Like, how do I feel? Is my heart racing? Because my eye was twitching for the past few days, you guys, and that, I was like, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. So, Yes, I struggle to the question Do you struggle to help others when you're going through a rough time yourself? Yes, if I don't do these things. And I've learned over the years. Luckily, I didn't get into private practice right away. It was like later down the line. So I got to kind of learn how to manage things when I had a lot of support. And I keep in touch with a lot of other mental health professionals. I would encourage you to do the same. I have like a journal club I attend every month where we talk about cases that are difficult and things like that. I think all of that's very, very key and important so that you have somewhere else to go where you can talk about what you do with people who understand. As a YouTube creator, I also have a huge group of friends who are creators because they get what I'm going through on that end of things. So all I'm saying is we all need support systems around what we do. And especially if you're a mental health professional, because we are like catching all and holding like more so holding all of people's upsets, angsts, worries, uh, angers, depression we're holding all that information abuse and we need to have a safe place to like set it down and walk away and i have really grown to have um not to pat myself on the back but really great boundaries around work and life when it comes to my uh patients and my home life um And I continue to do that. And I continue to to put myself in check. Like if I'm talking about a patient situation when I'm at home, even if I'm over the phone, like doing a consultation, I'm like, this is not ideal. I should be doing this in my office and I shouldn't pick up this call until I'm at my office. So trying to keep things very, very separate really helps also. Um, But yeah, take care of yourself. We have to put ourselves first. Um, And yeah, getting, getting to know yourself. So Maybe start journaling, maybe start jotting down how you're doing every day and checking in um, because the sooner you're able to recognize it, the less likely it is to bleed into your sessions and your patient's time. I hope that's helpful. I know it's kind of all over the place there. Okay. Question number seven. Why when I'm an adult and I seek from, oh, oh, why when I'm an adult, do I seek for my parents' approval and permission on things? It's not like I want to do what I want because it's like, I want to do what I want because I'm an adult, but at the same time, I feel guilty for not listening to them. I thought this was really interesting. And a lot of this, I believe has to do with family dynamics and attachment. And I know that that's like a big, those are big blanket statements and there's a lot involved in that. So I'll try to tease this out. This will probably be my last question actually. So yeah, we'll finish with this one. Um, but I think when we grow up, um, if our parents don't support our independence, I talked about that when it comes to having a narcissistic parent where they don't support our independence because they want us to be dependent on them. It can also be if we're a parentified child like if our let's say our dad works away from home or is just never home, I don't know, and our mom starts to talk to us like we're her partner like we're if you're uh you know. The boy in the family, like the oldest boy, she could treat you like her her actual partner, like as if you're the man of the house. A lot of uh, mothers will say that to their children, and I think that is very inappropriate. We should never say to a little boy, "You're the man of the house." No, you're you're a boy, and you get to be a boy. You get to do all the things that little boys do that you want to do. That is what we should say. So let's not say that anymore. Okay, okay. Um, but they'll do things like that, or. Um, you know, even if it's not like that, uh, you know, male, female relationship, it could still be, uh, where they talk to you like you're an adult. They talk to you as if you're their equal, not their child. And that's not appropriate because then we're again, a parentified child, or if both parents are gone, the oldest, uh, usually the oldest will try to take care of all the other kids. Um, a lot of, uh, like latchkey kids back in the day, they called it where like both parents worked away from home. And so kids had these few hours after school where they had to take care of themselves and make food and stuff like that. And that can uh, really grow some independence in children if it's supported by the parents. If Like my mom, for instance, because she did go back to work when I was, I don't even know. My mom was like part-time when I was younger. Anyway, there was a period of time I remember where I would get back, we, my brother and I get back home from school and I would make food for us. I'm the youngest, but I le- I've always liked to cook. So I'd make us snacks. My mom would leave stuff out, like marked in the fridge, like this is, you can have a snack of this and this and that. And so it was like, she was encouraging our independence. Um, and I believe that some of that didn't happen for, for the person who asked this question. It's got a lot of thumbs ups too. So I think a lot of people worry about or have these issues. If we're, if our parents don't support that independent movement and the independent choice, if they've always looked at us as if we're, uh, we're responsible, we're equals or something like that, then the, the dynamic of the relationship is very flawed and very unhealthy. It can be very enmeshed. So we don't feel free to actually make decisions on our own. And that could also be a result of abuse. I'm just giving options because I know everyone's situation is going to be different. Um, if we've been abused in any way, we can, it can erode at our own self-worth and confidence. And so we might not feel safe enough to make decisions without checking in with someone else. Um, It could come from that too. It could also come from anxiety um, or any other anxiety, depression, any other mental illness or mental health issue that erodes at our confidence. Um, And so I think there's some of that but my guess overall, if I want to answer this question, like directly to this person, I think there's enmeshment. I believe that the relationship that is had with these between you and your parents is not, excuse me, is not a healthy one. Um, cause if you feel guilty for not listening to them and you're an adult and you're still looking for their permission, I mean, I don't know how adult, like if you're 18, I honestly don't think that we, most of us are healthfully detached from our parents until we're, I mean, if you go away to school, maybe 18 or 19, but maybe 21, 22, I think that's still fair um, as we like distance ourselves from our parents and make decisions on our own. Um, But if we don't feel free to make our own decisions, and we're always asking them for all their insight and permission, and uh, if they tell us to do something, we feel like we we have to do what they say, that is enmeshed That's completely enmeshed. And that's kind of the attachment style. So, if you, I have a whole video if you want to get on YouTube, it's Katie Morton attachment styles. I have a bunch of videos about that. Um, But there are, I think it's four main attachment styles one being secure, which is healthy, happy. You can come and go, you don't need their permission. And there's like anxious, avoidant. Um, Oh, God, you guys, I'm going to have to look these up because I forget. I don't want to say them wrong. But anyway, there's, um, hold on. Uh, Let me look up uh, cause they're, there's ambivalent, anxious, ambivalent, I think it is. Um, I just don't want to misspeak here. So I'm looking at my own video. This is what I do often you guys, because I put all this stuff in, um, into the descriptions so that you can pull them. And so, okay, here we go. Secure, insecure, avoidant. This is when, um, If we're insecure, we don't feel like we can count on our caregiver. And so we might uh, reject them even if they come to like our aid. We can feel like, you know, we... Even if we tried to seek out the contact or support from our parent or a caregiver, they're not going to give us what we need. So often these kids will like curl in corners and cry on their own and try to soothe their own system. Some children rock, rub their arms. It's um, It's kind. Of, it's, this stuff gets kind of sad for me. That's why working with kids is really hard for me and it wasn't something that I enjoyed. Um, then there's insecure ambivalent where they can like be clinging to their caregiver and then not really care. So they kind of go back and forth. Then there's disorganized. So there are four, I was correct. Um, but these children who are disorganized, you show a confusing mix of attachment behaviors. Um, and may even appear to be confused or disoriented. They believe, I'm just reading from my notes, they believe that this attachment style is caused by inconsistency from caregivers, meaning that like a parent could have been there and then not there. They didn't know what they could count on. Um, and so so there are four different attachments. Secure, insecure, avoidant, insecure, ambivalent, and disorganized. And the goal is obviously to have a secure attachment. But back to this person's question, I feel that it's probably coming from the the lack of confidence that your parents gave to you. And I know that sounds weird to say like someone can give us confidence, but parents build that in us. You did a great job. No, you can make that decision. You can do that on your own. You've done a great job so far. I support you. I support the decisions you make. Those are like healthy parent uh, phrases that we need to hear and we need to internalize. But oftentimes instead because our parents are human. And even if they're trying to do their best, they might not even know what that means or how to be a good parent. Some of our parents didn't have good parents, right? So we may have, instead of hearing those healthy, happy parent uh, phrases, we might instead hear things like, why'd you do that? You know, I didn't like that. I would never have made that decision. You're so stupid. We might hear all of these negative phrases that we internalize and take as fact. So what I would encourage this person to do, because I'm, I'm going to get off topic and talk about this for a long time, but what I really believe you should do is to check in on yourself and your own feelings of confidence and how you talk to yourself. And notice maybe if you have some phrases that you've heard over and over again from your parents, what were those phrases? What did they say? Do you believe those as fact? Should we look for evidence to disprove them because they're pro- they're not true? Um, and what small decisions can we make without their approval as we build up into bigger things because just like anything i can't tell you just to jump in the deep end if you've never learned to swim i'm going to say well let's just like put our face in the water and come up put our fa- we're going to get used to it right we're going to slowly acclimate and so i want you to slowly start making some decisions without their permission just small things that maybe feel a little bit difficult but not that difficult um it could be things like um, I'm not going to ask them if I can, uh, I don't know, it depends on it. if you're an adult, you don't live at home, but it's like um, purchasing an item without asking for their input on it. I'm going to buy a new pillow and I'm not going to call them to see what they think. Or um, uh, I'm going to go get my oil change. I'm not going to ask them for where they recommend. I'm just going to read the reviews and I'm going to do my research and make my decision. I know those are weird examples. I'm just trying to think of things that you could do that would be smaller, that don't feel like such a big thing. Um, And then I would just be more curious, I might journal a little bit about like, what, uh, what phrases you've heard from them. Or like, I, I call them like, almost like unhealthy parent messages. What have you heard over the years, maybe write those down and let's look for evidence to disprove them. I'd also be interested about the guilt, like feeling guilty. Um, where do you think that comes from? Are, is that something that they want you to feel? Do you feel like they they expect you to ask for permission even though you're grown? Um What's the dynamic between your parents? Were you a parentified child? I'd just be very curious about all the things I've kind of mentioned. See if any of that resonates with you. And then it could be just, it's work in therapy. It's like healing that child of yours. Like, I mean, child of yours, like your inner child. And I have a video about that too, if you want to listen for more. But I think um, we all have a hurt inner child for one reason or another, whether it was because we were bullied at school or our parents weren't around, or there were broken promises, or there's all sorts of things that we go through when we're developing and growing. And so just checking in on that for yourself, figuring out where it's coming from. And hopefully we can heal that we can look for evidence that doesn't support those nasty messages, we can find out that we are actually capable, responsible, important, valued adult, and then we can move out of it and do our own thing. Um, But yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes practice. It's a new muscle, right? We have to get used to using it. We have to get used to talking more kindly to ourselves. Um, But yeah, anyway, I hope that that's helpful. I hope that all these answers are helpful. I love your questions. These are so great. I actually enjoy being able to go through them more slowly, not feeling so rushed or pressured to go, you know, ramble off all these answers. Um, It gives me some time to kind of be more contemplative and put you know, put all the pieces together, hopefully, and I hope it makes sense. Um, take care of yourselves. Now is a tough time. Like I said, I'm in it too. It's hard. It could be bad, but just trust me. You're not alone. You have our community. I have my Facebook group, Katie. Um, if you're interested, I also do a ton of things over on Patreon. If that's something, I know money might be tight for a lot of you. Um, so no pressure at all, but $5 gets you in the door and means that you can watch the live streams and access the community there. That's And that's $5 a month. Um, so that's another thing. I also offer journal prompts through my memberships within my Katie Morton channel. Um, again, I think that's, that's $4.99 a month and you get two journal prompts a week. So if that's something that you think would be helpful, you can do that. And there's community within that as well in the comments below those posts, people chat. Um, yeah, connect. We're, we're in it together. i I hope things get better more quickly, but we need to prepare, prepare, like hope for the best, prepare for the worst kind of, right? So know that our community and myself, we are here for you. You're not alone. Um, stay home if you can stay safe and I'll see you next week. Bye. Ask her about your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie.